This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. It's back, it's beautiful, it's bigger and better than ever. It's NPR's Books We Love, a searchable compendium of the best books of the year. Today we'll be getting a handful of those picks from one of our favorite NPR book people. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Books We Love on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Joining us today is Andrew Limbong. He's the host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast and a reporter for the Culture Desk. Hey, Andrew. Yo, what's up? I'm back. I'm beautiful, too. I'm bigger than ever. Let's get going. That was quite the intro, dude. After two years of pandemic, we're all bigger than ever. Books We Love is a yearly labor of love here at NPR. Every year, the Books We Love team solicits brief recommendations from NPR staff and book critics and culls through them, assigning them searchable tags, entering them into an interactive reading guide you can use to find the perfect book for you or someone you love. This holiday season. Can you filter them by subject and genre? Yeah, pfft, duh. Of course you can. Basic. But you can also pick filters like It's All Geek to Me, Let's Talk About Sex, Eye Opening Reads, No Biz Like Showbiz, and the one we'll be talking about today, Staff Picks. Now, Andrew, your first pick is a book that I've been putting off reading. It's there on my bedside table, but Uh-oh. look, this is one of my favorite writers of all time. Their work on the uh, DC comic Doom Patrol back in the 80s and 90s is, for my money, the best single comic run of all time. Uh-huh. But I've also been burned by them oh. time and time again. So Okay, we should say, so we're talking about Grant Morrison, whose uh, book Luda is one of my picks. I was a Morrison fan. I was obsessed with We Three. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was like a three-issue series that they wrote about these like animals who turned into like weapons of war for the American government. Um, I, I was I was in my peak. I'm going to be obnoxiously pretentious about comics books phase. Yep, sure. So I, I think I, I think I wrote like three different papers in college. Just about like I felt like some excuse to be like <laughs> uh, postmodernism and the dogs of we or some stupid thing yes, like that. Speaking my language, Andrew. Yep. Um, I remember not liking. Was it like All-Star Superman? It was. One of my favorite runs of all time. So go off. Oh, go, okay. go off. <laughs> I just remember I read it and I, I'm not the biggest Superman person. And I remember low-key like reading it, you know, when you take it from the Barnes and Nobles and hide in the back and just like, you know, cut class and that's how you kill time. I don't know if anyone else has done that. <laughs> but I've just been like, oh, okay, I get it. It's like, you know, a retelling of American or something like that. And, and then I thought it was fine. But... um. When I got this book in the mail, I was I was like, all right, we'll we'll see what what they've got. Mm-hmm. The premise, really quick, is um, Lucille Bang is this uh, aging drag artist. They're in this pantomime show 
But then a young ingenue comes in <laughs> named Luda, who, you know, is younger and sexier. And Lucy LeBang mm-hmm. decides um, to teach this protege, like, the ways of, like, the glamour, right? The makeup and the magic and all that stuff. In a, in a couple interviews I've read of Morrison, they talk about how it's a retelling of Merlin. Mm. I don't care about any of that. I just think it's funny. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? The the way the way they write this book and tell this story, it's told in a way like um that Lucy LeBang is like doing their makeup and just like recounting all of the events that have happened. There's a snide <laughs> catty comment, every other graph. Uh-huh. If you read it and told me, you know, it's a little like self indulgent, I'd be like, <laughs> Yeah. But they still rock ass, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll tell you, man, you haven't allayed my fears because here's the thing about Morrison. They are so imaginative, so adept at just pulling together all these disparate ideas and myths and Merlin and iconography so that it all makes sense when they're focused. Uh-huh. <laughs> or maybe it's when they have an editor who's willing <laughs> to get their hands dirty and get into the mix. Yes. Because they've talked a lot about how they've used ayahuasca and peyote and other things to unlock the imagination in the past. And sometimes, man, that's what their writing can feel like. When your friend tells you a dream or a bad trip and they're just all ideas, images, <laughs> but no structure, no meaning. In your blurb for uh, Books We Love, you talk about the distinction between confusion and bewilderment. Can you unpack that a little bit? I, I think about it like a – this might be like a hackneyed metaphor. But if you're on a roller coaster, you can't really make out the landscape of what you're seeing, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't know if that was a conscious move on my part to not like – super care about the intricacies of like the plot maybe you know what i mean uh-huh, uh-huh. um but sometimes i'll be reading and i'll be like what the hell is going on uh-huh, here dude? Uh-huh. <laughs> but then it's like there'll be like a, a funny line that like brings me back and i'm like okay whatever okay listen glenn the beauty of books we love it's big enough that every book isn't for everyone but there's something in it for you you know what I mean? yeah sure <laughs> And I think this book might not be for everyone, but I, I've had a blast reading it. You know, funny has a strong gravitational pull. Funny can unify. So I'm I'm now, I'm going to pick it up tonight. I am. I am. Thank you for that. All right. So once again, that's Luda by Grant Morrison. Uh, your next pick, Andrew, is a book a lot of folks are talking about. Um, I think it's safe to say it's proved divisive. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yes, that would be um, Otessa Moshfeg's Latvona. Uh, people, people were being spicy about this when it came out. It was sort of, <laughs> it sort of took me by surprise. Um, Otessa Moshvig, I think uh, most people will know her from uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. That that's sort of her breakout hit. Uh-huh. Um, she also wrote like Eileen. People also really like that one. Uh-huh. When Latvona came out, there was a um, there was this big takedown essay in Vulture by Andrea Longchu, pretty much just tearing this book apart. I remember reading that. I was, I think, in the middle of reading. Like, I think I was I had a review copy. I was in the middle of a review copy of Latvona, being kind of confused, because if I remember correctly, the central criticism of it was that it had no like, uh, Moshfeg has no like ideology behind her writing, and a lot of this book in particular is just about like shock for shock's sake. You know, somewhat gratuitous um, uh-huh. violence, which it is violent. It's about a. It's about a lot of things, but the one of the main through lines is a, a young peasant boy in the medieval fictional town of Latvona ends up being adopted by the like evil noble family. And and there's like one lord who rules over everything. His name is William. Uh, if you can't tell, he's the villain. <laughs> Very clever, right? <laughs> of, of the story. But it's also about 
you know, religion. It's about class. It's about cynicism, I think. And I, I think it's easy to mistake cynicism for sneering. I think it's easy to see this book as that. Uh-huh. But I think it is a little um, more complicated than that. I think there is some tenderness with her characters that you feel for them, even though they're all like disgusting and they're all kind of like dumb too, right? When people say like, oh, you really feel for your characters, it's because they do, you you see where they're coming from. But I, in this book, I think a lot of the characters are just like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> What's going on? This is a stupid thing. <laughs> the, the whole town that she writes about, I think she constructs a kind of like deeper philosophical question about God and the nature of man and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll say on the record that I liked it more than my year of rest and relaxation. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. Okay, so that is Labona by Otessa Moshveg. Your last pick is an interesting one to me, Andrew, because it's a debut collection of short stories that is getting this huge acclaim. It was long listed for the National Book Awards for Fiction. It's generally not how publishing works. It sometimes happened. Mm-hmm. Historically, uh, you know, writers publish short stories, and then they come to the attention of the publisher. The publisher says, you got a novel? And they say, can't you just publish my collection of short mm-hmm. stories? They go, come back to me when you got a novel or two. And then two or three books in, they publish their short stories. But that didn't happen here. Talk to me about it. No, yeah, no, this this dude's got some heat to him. Um, it's called If I Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery. It's a short story collection um, that is tied around a family of uh, Jamaican immigrants who, who live in Miami. It's driven mostly by one character who's uh, named Trelawney. He's written in such a way that it reminds me of my boys in that, like, he can be, like, kind of annoying sometimes. <laughs> but I can see what he's doing, and I can see what he's going for there. There's a couple of different short stories in here. The opening one, In Flux, it's written in this uh, second-person style where, you know, it's talking about identity uh, and all that. I wasn't super hot on the on the first story like everyone else seemed to be, but as you read every other story, it keeps widening in scope and growing out the the sort of family tree and the complicated relationships therein and like you know cousins are dirtbags and parents are dirtbags <laughs> you know like everyone everyone here is kind of like bad to each other um and all of this is happening under the shadow of like american imperialism and all the impacts of weather and climate change and all that stuff i think it's easy to at least for me, when I see like a book getting like NBA buzz and has like the words like identity and like climate and imperial, it'd be like uh-huh. to think about it as very like, hmm, yeah, so a book about <laughs> a book about American imperialism. Ooh. But it's uh, it's also about people being awful, making bad decisions uh, because they're like a broken, b kind of horny. You know, like everyday life. It, it brings you back to reality that like, yes, it it isn't just like a lecture about class but people are just like trying to make it because that's all they have no time for the lecture i think absolutely uh, okay so that book is if i survive you by jonathan escoffrey uh, if you want to discover even more books npr love this year visit npr.org slash best books that brings us to the end of our show thanks for being here andrew great picks yeah thanks for having me and of course thank you for listening to pop culture happy hour from npr this episode was produced by hafsa fatima and edited by jessica reedy the books we love team is beth novi natalie escobar maureen pow and megan collins sullivan and hello come in provides our theme music which you are hurling across the room right now i'm glenn weldon and we'll see you all tomorrow this message comes from npr sponsor mint mobile from the gas pump to the grocery store inflation is everywhere 
So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.